morning, church. All right. Y'all awake this morning. That's good. Um, if you will, turn with me to 1 Samuel. Um, we're going to be in, I'm sorry, we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 11. If you will, just hold, put your bookmark there. We'll get to you in just a second. Um, the, uh, I want to encourage you guys, uh, when service is over, um, and the last song sung, don't exit. Okay? Uh, we got some exciting news we want to share with you guys, and uh, we figured it would be best to share it after the service. So we're going to do that, and then, uh, y'all with me? Nobody's leaving. Everybody's hanging on. All right. So um, as I've been preparing for this week, um, I love the, the story of David. Um, and, and talking about brokenness, talking about how God works um, and uses broken people, and a lot of times in spite of us, I just love David. I don't know about you guys. I mean, David's a fighter. David's a warrior. I mean, uh, he's a man's man, right? I love David. I love the, the story, and he's, it's resonated with me so much. But so much we focus on the good in David's life and what God did. And, and you know, we're saying that, you know, David was known to be a man after God's own heart. And we hear those things, and, and we, we, we strive to be that. But David would not be the man that he was. If it wasn't for his brokenness, if it wasn't for the things that God shined the light on, that God pursued him through, and that he repented of and moved forward. And so today, as we talk about David, uh, uh, first, first Samuel 16, 7 says this about David. says this about David. It says, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outer appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so that, that's so important because God looks at our hearts, right? We want God to look at the fruit of our life. We want God to look at the stuff we do instead of looking at the heart, right? And our heart is where everything comes from. Our heart is where everything comes from. The things we love, things we enjoy, it all comes from our, our heart. And so if God looks at our heart and he looked at David and he saw David's heart and he had a heart for God, he wanted to use David. If God saw your heart right now, would he give you the keys and say, here, take off. I want to use you to do this in a mighty way. Or would he look at you and be like, whew, there's a bunch of work left in there. Would your heart be categorized as a man or a woman whose, whose heart has been touched by God, whose heart is, is devoted to God? Because at this time, that's who David was, and that's who David his whole life pretty much became. See, David was known to be a man after God's own heart because First thing, he depended on God for his guidance of his life. If you read through the Psalms, you read through um, David's life, he was always, whenever there was a bad situation, whenever there was anything he needed to do, he was going to God. He was on his knees saying, Lord, show me. If you want me to go attack this man, attack this, this, this uh, army, then give me a sign. Show me that you want me to go. He was not self-reliant. He was dependent upon God. The second thing is that he leaned on God in the hard times. So he was a man of God's own heart because he leaned on God in the tough times of his life. How many of us tend, when, when tough times hit us, we really lean on God? Or do we try to fix things ourselves, and then when we make a total wreck of it, then we lean on God? Huh? That, that, that's, that's, me, that's me sometimes. David saw, the third thing is David, he saw first 
hand, the power of God in his life, and, he, and it enabled him, and how God's hand enabled him to defeat his enemies. See, when you turn your life over to God and you trust him to change you, he, you trust him to, to fight your battles for you, you trust him to change the struggles in your life, you trust him to, change, to, to defeat the sin in your life, and you start seeing God do those things, your heart gets more and more in love with God because you see that God is faithful and God is true, and you begin to begin to release more and more to him. And that's so important because so many of us haven't experienced God because we haven't given God room in our lives for us to experience him. And God, I mean, David was always giving God those keys and always just wanting more of him. And the last thing was he experienced God's favor and he saw how God protected him from Saul. Okay, so this dude, David was anointed king and then he was, but it, was, it wasn't time, right? So he was under Saul his whole, for a long time. And the whole time he was under Saul, so he was being persecuted. Saul was trying to kill the man. He didn't give up. He didn't quit. He knew the call on his life and said he kept fighting. He kept going. And he's seen how God protected him through Saul. Saul tried to kill him several times, but God intervened, right? And so he saw the faithfulness. Can you look back on your life and see the faithfulness of God? Can you look back and see how God protected you from this or God delivered you from that? Man, when I start thinking about that, I can't help but praise him. Amen? It gets me jacked up and excited. But see, that's how God had his heart because he was beginning to see and, and God began to do things in him and he began to have that, that hard relationship with him. That, I mean, it was just like, for, it was real. How many of us know people that do not have a real relationship with Jesus Christ? And, it, and, it's, and it's empty. It, it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's suffocating. But when you have a true relationship with Christ, it's freeing, and, and God uses you to do amazing things. But see, even David, he had all this knowledge of God and all this experience. But if you don't really take that stuff to heart, then later you'll forget about it. Later you'll forget all about it. When temptation hits you, you will forget. I, don't know, I know that God's delivered me from some things, but yet... I know that whenever some, another situation will come up, first thing that's going to hit me is doubt. I know God's faithful. I know what he's done. And, I, I, and if I don't bring myself to remembering what he's done in my life, then I'll start allowing doubt to creep in and start captivating my, my thoughts and, my, and everything that I do. See, David struggled with Saul with, with this rise to power through Israel, but the internal struggles, the real difficulty was in his mind. See, a lot of us, we fight against all this stuff, but the battles that are won and lost all start right here. All start right here. And we want to blame Satan. We want to blame our neighbor. We want to blame the coworker for, we want to blame our spouses for the things that we do, but we have a choice in the matter, right? And it's if God is renewing our mind and allowing us to walk through it. And we're going to walk through some steps and through kind of David's life to see how he allowed his thinking to dictate what he did. But see, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, it's the beginning of the dark season in David's life. This is a season, it was initiated by David, okay? He chose to go there. A lot of times we want to blame everybody else for my sin and for my struggle, but a lot of times we're struggling through stuff is because of my dumb decisions. And so he, he, he goes through that, 
and his own, he chooses his own way over God's way, and he sought his own pleasure instead of trusting in God's abundant provision. So David, he commits adultery with Bathsheba. He attempts to cover up his sin, and then he hopes nobody will find out. See, most of us are aware of our brokenness. Most of us are aware of our temptations. But it's how you guard your heart is what dictates the outcome. Because we're always going to struggle, right? We're never going to arrive until we get at the feet of Jesus. But how do you guard your heart? How do you guard your life so that you are walking in victory and, and not in shame? Learn through David. See, verse 1, in chapter 11, 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, says this. It says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab, out to the king, out to the king's men, with the king's men, and whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Amorites and besieged Rabahah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Okay, that, that, I'm gonna stop right there for a second because this is this is important. It's because this is the time. It says when a, David stayed at the palace when it was supposed to be a time when the kings went out to war, right? It was a time where the king went out with the men. That's what happened. The king went out with his people to fight. But yet David chose to stay in where it was comfortable, where it was easy, where he was attended to. See, so many of us take ourselves out of the fight. See, this fight is against sin, right? It's against Satan. And if we're not intentional with pursuing God, we're not intentional with, with going where God told, tells us to go, what happens is we take ourselves out of the fight. And we take ourselves out of the fight, and we don't fight against sin. We don't fight against what's right and what's wrong. When we don't fight for those things, our selfish desire is going to win every time. We got, to, we got to want God more than we want our own way. Amen? I know it's hot. Y'all got to stay with me, okay? Don't fall asleep. But that's the thing, like David took himself out of the fight, and he began to be idle. See, when we stop fighting against temptation, we fall into sin. I know it's evident in my life. When, I, when I'm not vigilant on making sure that I'm slaying sin in my life every day, then if I just start being lazy and, and half-hearted to it, what happens that stuff starts creeping up, and I find myself further away from God than I was two weeks ago because I had not been intentional with slaying the things that didn't please God. It's a war. It's a fight every single day. That's what it is. And David was a fighting man. He knew what it meant to fight, but he took himself out. The verse 2 says, On the evening David got up, one evening David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof he saw a woman bathing that was very, that woman was very beautiful. I'm going to stop there too. So David, he didn't have anything else to do, right? So he began to just Walk around the rooftops. See, a bored man is a dangerous man. A bored woman is a dangerous woman. Because before you know it, if you're not in the fight, you're out looking for something else to entertain you. If you're not careful, you will, you will put things in your life that does not glorify God. How many of us, we, we take ourselves out of the fight when we are bored, we're sitting at home, and we find ourselves flipping through that smartphone, looking at things that we shouldn't be looking at. We find ourselves going and texting and talking to someone else, that, telling them about things about our lives, about our spouse, that we shouldn't be telling them. We start, we, we start having these conversations that we shouldn't be having. It all starts because we took ourselves out of the fight 
And instead of focusing on God, we're focusing on me and me and what makes me feel good. And we want something else to fill that void instead of God giving us that confirmation, God filling those voids. See, we fall into temptation when we subject ourselves to, to just not being intentional with God. See, when we're idle, we find ourselves, we, we find mischief and temptation. Amen? I know I do. My grandma used to say, uh, uh, idle hands are the devil's workshop. She saw, whenever us youngins was around there, she found something for us to do. And I was like, Nana, why you always got me working? She said, because when you ain't working, you tearing up something around this house. All right? <laughs> when you ain't working, you beating up your brother. When you, you're not, I'm not keeping you busy, you get into trouble. And that don't stop with childhood. It continues on, except when you're an adult, you start hurting more people. You start affecting other people's lives. See, he strolls on this rooftop. Okay, he was looking for something. In those days, they had a railing around the palace. You could walk on the rooftop. His palace was bigger than anything else, so he could see across the whole entire town. And so he's up there, bored, looking for something. See, that's how temptation gets in. You start looking for something else to please you when you won't submit those things to God. So he's looking around, snooping around, and then he looks down and he spots this woman bathing. Now, this is where I lose respect from a man, David, because he becomes this great warrior to a peeping Tom like that. I mean, he didn't just glance. This woman was bathing on the roof. What, what respectable man would gaze and just stare at her? Some of y'all are like, well... So he's looking at this woman, and he's looking at her, and he, he starts lusting and having this lust over her. See, when we start fixating on sin, what happens, if we don't turn from it, if we focus in on it, it begins to captivate our lives. See, a lot of the problem that a lot of us have is we're not running from sin. We're just standing there looking at it. We're not running away from it. We're not running to it. We're just standing there trying to make a decision. And sin is death. That's what the Bible says. We should run and flee from it. So David sees this woman bathing on the rooftop. He, he could have turned away, right? He could have fleed from it, but he didn't. He just sat there and gawked at her. Now, the Bible says this woman was very beautiful. And it tripped me out when I was reading. I was doing a lot of word studies on this, and, and that word beautiful can, can mean a lot of stuff in the Hebrew and the Greek, and it can mean a lot of, a lot of different things, but... When you put the word very in front of it, 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 it kind of magnifies that word. So it meant that that woman was, was very fine. Now, let me tell you, the Bible said you fine, you fine, right? So Bathsheba was a fine woman bathing naked on the roof. David didn't have a chance. But instead of running, he just, he just keeps looking at her. See, we cannot keep putting up with sin. And you know the things that please God and the things that don't, but when you... When you play with it, it's going to burn you. And we think that, oh, I can just dabble in this. This ain't no big deal. I can, I can look, but, but, I, but if I don't touch, it's okay. If I do this, then it's all right. If, if, if I'm a little mad, then that's okay. But if we continue to dabble in sin, it's going to, it's going to continue. It's, if you keep on dabbling in it, it's going to consume your life. And that's what David is a great example of that. The sin of lust drove him deeper, right? It drove him deeper into sin. And see, when you go deeper into sin, it draws you further away from God. 
So that's why, that's why we preach, and we really want you guys to understand that, that you can't just put up with sin being a Christian. You have to slay it because sin separates you from God. So you can't have a vibrant relationship with God and put up with sin. Those things don't mix. It's like oil and water. And so verse 3 continues. It says, And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliab and the wife of Uriah, Uriah the Hittite. You know, and I, I, love, I love this part of it because, you know, so many times we look at sin and we identify that sin because it makes it, we desire it, right? Especially sexual sin, it takes, the, it, takes the, it takes the focus off of the person and it turns them into an object, something I can conquer, something I can have, something I want. All right, so it takes, it takes a woman, a beautiful woman, it takes her out of being a woman, and you just look at something that's going to make you feel good about yourself, make you feel accomplished, make you feel like you've got another notch on your belt, and the same thing for women these days. But see, what, that's what happens is when we fixate on sin, it, 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 it really it demoralizes things. And I love the way the Bible says this. The guy didn't say, he didn't come and talk about Bathsheba. He didn't say, yeah, man, she's fine. She got, she got, she's a brunette. She got green eyes, man. Her body, ooh, she's fine. He didn't say that. He said, he didn't start telling them about Bathsheba, who she was. He started saying whose she was. See, we got to realize with sexual sin that it's not just the act of sin, but it's you're affecting other people. He begins to tell them that's somebody's daughter, that's somebody's wife. That's somebody's mother. That's somebody's daughter. I mean, he was, the Bible was explicit in that because, see, when we start looking at not who they are but whose they are, it changes our perspective on things. If you start pornography, you look at things in, in that type of dynamic, and it, it makes you, it starts fueling things that are unhealthy in your life. But if you look at it like that's somebody's daughter, some of y'all get off and quit messing with it. That's somebody's son. That, that, that's, that's somebody's mother. That's somebody's wife. I mean, it, it, takes the, it takes them and makes them a person, and then you realize that they're somebody, not something, and it may, brings you to a place where you have to make a moral decision. Am I going to continue pursuing something that don't please God? And so his servant confronts him with that, and in verse 4, then David sent messengers to her. She came down to him, and he slept with her. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. Uh-oh. Here's a little night of fun and turned into something a whole lot more in depth than what he thought. See, sin's like that. See, you think you can just get, get in and get your feet wet, but next thing you know, it's engulfed your whole entire body. Sin is infectious. See, he continues... What he did is, is, is he continued to dwell on the sin, on the sin. And that seed that was planted from lust turned into adultery. See, don't just stop unless we slay it. There's some seeds in our life that we need to start spraying some roundup on. Amen? There's some tendencies that we have that we need to identify as wrong before God and kill those things and not allow them to grow anymore. But if we put up with them, they'll grow up and eventually take over our life. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, says that, that we should take every thought captive. 
That's to take every thought captive. That's, that's, a, that's like a, a life lesson for me. Everything that comes in and out of my life, I have to funnel it through God's word and funnel it through my mind. And if it's wrong, i got to take that thing captive and not act on it, okay? See, if, if David would have acted on his thoughts, he would have never have gotten to the place where he is right here. See, it's, it's not just the thoughts that are bad, but it's when you really act on them. And God came to not just change, he gave us a new heart, but he came to also renew our mind. And he only renews our mind as we submit to him. Y'all with me? This is getting a little deep today, but I'm trying to, to just plow through it. So the, the fight we have is in our mind. So if the fight is in our mind, then we have to funnel those things through God's truth. That's his word. I'm saying this is right and this is wrong. And the right stuff we hang on to and we act on the wrong stuff, we throw in the trash. And if I carry the trash can around with me, if you've seen the stuff that comes into my mind every week, by the end of the day, it would be a dumpster full of stuff that I'm just like, nope, that's not godly. Nope, that's not godly. Nope, that's not godly. And if I acted on even half of it, I will be homeless, not married, and broke. Because my wife's kind of like Mason. And we'll leave that there. But the battle's in our minds. And I think the first thing you have to realize is the first thing you got to realize with the battle in your mind is that the first thing is we have to accept, you have to accept the responsibility of your thoughts, okay? They're your thoughts. You have the ability to exercise control over your thoughts, okay? God, God warned Cain not to focus his mind, to focus his mind on the right things, Okay? But Cain chose to think about the wrong things, and he became to be angry and jealous, and those things fueled him and led him to commit murder. So are you willing to admit that you can, with God's help, regain control of your mind? See, so many of us in this room, we allow our mind to lead us. That's why we're led by emotion. That's why we do things kind of just really quick. We're led by our emotion because we're not taking our thoughts captive. We're just going any way our emotions lead us. If I went by the way my emotions led me, I'd, man, especially when I'm driving, I'd, I would pull over and beat the brakes off somebody. Nobody, nobody struggles with, with road rage in here? You bunch of liars. <laughs> Some of y'all back there saying. Uh, but that's the thing is like you can't allow your emotions to drive you. And the only way to, to get, not to allow your emotion to drive you is you got to take those thoughts and bring them upside God's word and throw away the things that don't matter and keep the things that do. The second thing is that your mind, not just your behavior, must change. God, God calls us to change our sinful behavior that doesn't honor or please him, but instead we focus on the behavior and not on why we do it. We focus on the what and not the why, Okay? Not, 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 not that you got angry at work, but why did you get angry at work? Not that you disrespected your spouse, but why did you do that? And if you look at those things, mostly it's selfishness. But see, that's, that's why it's so important. The, the thing is, is that if your first thought, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me slow down a little bit. Instead of focusing on our behavior, we need to focus on discipling our mind, which is from, which really stems from everything. And the way you disciple your mind is in God's word, right? That's the way you know those things. Allowing God's word to transform you by renewing your mind. That's Romans 12, too. 
And it's, it's, it's allowing God's word. You, a lot of us are in the same place we were 10 years ago because we haven't read God's word and digested it so that we know what it says. And I thank God that when, when I first started walking with God, I didn't know those things. But the more I walk with God, the more I read God's word, when, when temptation comes up, when sin arises, and I stop and think about it, God always brings scripture to my mind. I can't remember nothing. Sometimes I can't remember what I ate for breakfast. Ask Dallas. Ask my wife. Ask people that know me well. I, I have a horrible memory. But that just shows how powerful the Holy Spirit is and the grace of God because when I need him the most, he makes my memory work. Amen? So we have to realize that our, just not just our behavior, but our minds must change. We've got to re replace the truth, I mean the lies, with truth. You know the things that aren't right. You've got to replace it with truth. And the only way you replace the lies with truth is being in God's Word. And a lot of times we know things are lies, but we don't know what to replace it with. Because we're just, we're just so used to hearing the lies, so we just live on the lie instead of living in the truth. And if you're not in God's word, you won't have anything to replace the lies with. That's why it's so, that's why we talk about reading the 412 plan together, us doing life together, us being in connection, being accountable to one another so that your mind will be reshaped by the word of God and be able to be fruitful. There's so many unfruitful Christians because they're allowing themselves to drive them, hiding behind a Bible when they're not digesting it and allowing themselves to replace the lies that the enemy throws at them with the truth of God's word. The next thing, the third thing is don't just react. Think through your problems rather than just react to them. I'm a reactionary man. Something happens, I react. Okay? You punch me, I'm punching you back, you know, type man. I'm not going to say, well, heaven's on earth, man. Why did you hit me? <laughs> that ain't coming. <laughs> I'll think later, okay? I'm working on that. We're all progress, right? But see, when, 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 a lot of times when you experience difficult challenges in life, when you, you react to them and the way you feel dictates how you respond. And so if you're not taking all those thoughts captive, you're just responding on emotion instead of what you know is right. That's why a lot of us, we do wrong things and then we feel so guilty because we know if we just took a moment, we would have chosen the right thing. Being led by ourselves and being led by the Spirit of God. We can't get trapped in that. We have to constantly be focused on Him. The fourth thing is that we need to take every thought captive through confession. Okay? It's one thing to grab a hold of that thought and say, hold up, that ain't right. But it's another thing, if you thought it, it's still sinful. Y'all with me? So you need to ask God to forgive you for your wrong thought. Some of y'all are going to be on your knees all day. Don't, I'm right with you. But see... Just confessing this. Paul urges us to take every thought captive to make us obedient to Christ. That's Romans 12, 21. To confront your disabling thoughts. To, to, to those things that are coming at you, those wrong thoughts, to confront them and say it's wrong and ask God to, to change your mind, to, to help you with it. That's what he's told us to do. And it'll take work to begin with. But as you cultivate that, as you're intentional with that, the more you take your thoughts captive, it'll be second nature. That's why I tell y'all sometimes I'm, I feel like I'm a, schizo, I'm a schizophrenic Christian because I'm like, hold up now, hold up. I can't be thinking like that. I can't be thinking like this. I feel like there's two people inside of me and there is. There's the old Jeremy and the new Jeremy. That's what happens at salvation. 
And from, that, from the moment that you're saved to the moment you die, you're fighting that war against self leading your life or God leading your life. And it's what you choose is what grows. The last thing is that you got to choose to focus your thoughts on the right things. We, uh, Philippians 4.8 says that we are to think about the things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. If you're constantly thinking about the negative stuff, guess what you're going to be? Negative. If you constantly think about how your spouse wronged you 15 years ago, you will never be able to forgive them. If you're constantly talking about how, oh, they made me mad yesterday, and you won't never get over the fight from yesterday to have the fight today. Some of y'all are like, y'all ain't fighting, but it's all right, y'all lying. We in church, you can, you can be transparent. See, that's the thing. Like, you got to, you got to start filtering those things and not focusing on the bad, but focus on the good. That's what, that's what, that's what they're saying in Philippians. You see, if, you don't, if we don't stop and realize that our thoughts are sending us down the wrong road to sin and into displeasing God, sin gives birth to more sin. It's just a road. We, it's, just a, it's like a, a snowball. And so before you know it, you've, you've, you've compromised on one thing, and then you compromise with something else, and next thing you know, you're so far from God, you don't experience his presence. You, don't, you hadn't heard him talk to you in, in months. You know why? Because there's probably something there or a lot of things there that you've allowed in your life that's cut off communication. Is that you today? See, after David commits adultery, okay, we're going to do a brief paraphrase then we're going to close. But after David commits adultery, he finds out that she's pregnant. Then he tries to cover it up, okay? He tries to cover it up. He, go, he brings her husband in from the, that was fighting. He was a man of integrity. He brings Uriah in. He tries to coerce him to go on home, to go get in bed with his wife so he could kind of, you know, make it look like it wasn't his child, but it was actually Uriah's child. Fool everybody. He was trying to, to, to fool everybody. And see, he, he, did, he did that two different times, and finally it happened. So he said, the only way this is going to happen is I've got to kill her husband. So he sends Uriah out to the battlefield with, a, with his death warrant. He wrote it. Such a man of integrity. There was a death warrant written, and he had it in his hand and didn't even know it, didn't read it. You got any friends like that that can keep a secret that good? Probably not. He, he goes up there, and, and, he, and, and he gives it to Joab, and Joab sends him in. And Uriah is killed in the front lines of the battle. David gives Bathsheba time to, 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 to mourn. Then he, bring, then he brings her into his harem. He marries her, brings him into his harem. They have a son, and he's like, I'm glad all that's done. I'm glad. Nobody knows what happened. Nobody knows that my lust just fueled me, and I, I committed adultery before the Lord. Nobody knows that. But in the end of verse 27, he says, but the thing David had done displeased the Lord. See, guys, you can think nobody knows what's going on. You can think nobody knows the hidden sin in your heart, but God knows. And if we are fixated on sin, if we're not slaying it, then it displeases God. Right? And see, we're made to be in, made in Christ's likeness, in, Christ, in the image of Christ. Our life should give God glory every day, not... And if he's not pleased with us, then our life is not giving him glory. So he, he thought he got away with it. See, unconfessed sin will make you go way out of your way to hide it. Way out of your way to hide it.
I remember when Sabrina and I were, where our marriage was struggling. I didn't know if I could trust her. I don't think she knew she could trust me. You know what we did? Both of us. We, we had passcodes on our phone, but she couldn't know what I was on my phone, and I didn't know it was on her phone. You know why? Because we didn't trust each other. None of us were committing any sin. Hadn't done yet, thank God, but it was one of those things. We were trying to hide. I was hiding in my life from my wife because I didn't want her to find out stuff that I was texting to other people or think that I was complaining about her or all this stuff. See, sin will make you try to think you can hide things. You will go to great lengths to do things, to hide your sin. But you may try to hide it from everybody else, but God knows. So why do we waste all that energy? Why don't we just confess? Why don't we just stop? And David knew who could give him that release. David knew who could give him that peace. But instead of that, he kept fighting against God in order to promote his own feelings in himself. Some of us are so stubborn that we don't want to admit we got a problem. We don't want to admit that this is an issue. We just keep dabbling in it and dabbling in it and dabbling in it until we're so far from God, we're so far from the people that we love that we don't know how to get back. That's what sin does. It wants to kill you. It wants to separate you from the life-giving relationship with Jesus. It wants to separate you from your family. It wants to destroy your marriage. It wants to kill every relationship you have because sin kills and destroys us if we put up with it. See, God sends Nathan to go confront David in chapter 12, and then David realizes that, it, that he had sinned and he had displeased God. And then David repents and turns back to God. See, Romans 3.23 says that we've all fallen short. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? All of us are messed up. All of us are jacked up. All of us are broken. But the reality is, are you remaining in your brokenness? Are you remaining in your sin? Are you broken because of your sin? And are you pursuing God? Are you, are you turning from that sin? Are you still playing in it? Because if you don't turn from it, then that means you like it. I got a year and a half old little boy. He's a boy, 100%. He loves water, he loves mud even better. I took him outside after rain the other day and I found him like he was making a snow angel in the mud. I'm like, boy, what are you doing? Get out of there. And he's like, no daddy, no daddy. He's in there just, just playing in it. Some of, that's a lot like all of us in, with sin. Instead of getting out of it, knowing that it's making us dirty, knowing that it's, 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 it's ruining us, we, we like it too much. We like it too much to get out of it. We like the way it makes us feel. We like the way it promotes us because we're thinking more about us than we are about God. See, what's scary about this is David was known as a man that had a heart for God, but you can have a heart for God, but then take your eyes off the prize and it will lead you away from God. And before you know it, you had a heart for God, but now you have a heart for yourself and it's hardened and you can't hear the God. You can't hear the Spirit. You can't hear God move. That's why it's so important that we take those thoughts captive, church. See, it's so easy to minimize our sin by saying, as long as nobody knows, as long as nobody finds out, nobody's going to get hurt. And that was David's thought. It was going to be just a one-night stand. It was going to be just something simple. It was just going to be something for fun. And it ended up, his, his son that he had with Bathsheba died. Uriah lost his life. Joab got put in a compromising situation. And judgment was on his house, so his, his family was in corruption, was in, was in turmoil the rest of his life because he kept playing with sin. 
Sin has consequences. Don't think that it's not going to affect no one but you because it's going to affect everyone around you. And that's why it's so important that we slay it. That's so important why we realize the things that we're bent to, that we're broken in, and we don't doctor up those things. We get rid of those things. And we pursue God. See, when we dwell on sin, it gives birth to more sin. And that's why we have to be intentional with allowing God to renew our minds. See, God used David in a mighty way because he had his heart. If he didn't have his heart, he would never have repented. He would have kept on going. See, if God's got your heart, church, man, woman, if God's got your heart, then he's moving in your heart right now. And you know the things that you're holding on to that you should have let go a month ago things you're struggling with that you should have let go of. See, David failed because he had too much confidence in himself being able to handle his problems. He failed because he had, he thought, he took himself out of the fight. He failed because he yielded to his own thoughts and was driven by emotion. He failed because he did not take his thoughts captive. David failed. He allowed his sin to make him fall away from the grace of God. What a tragedy. So, how far have you fallen? What are you holding on to? Is your brokenness ruling your life? Is it allowing you to make decisions to cover up all these things? Are you giving excuses why you act the way you act? Or are you truly giving those things to God? See, David, I love about this is because David was broken and David had fallen, but God didn't leave him there. Amen? See, God didn't leave us messed up. He, he gives us a way out. He gives you a way out, church. You got a way out. And that's through repentance. See, David might have, David might have fell and fall to the ground. He might have fell to the ground, but God restored him. And God wants to restore you and bring your relationship back to where it needs to be. And if you keep pursuing him, it'll be in places you never thought it would be. But you have to repent and turn away from the sin and the circumstance and look at him. You got to confront sin. You got to repent from sin. You got to be broken about your sin. See, so many of us think that repentance means I'm just sorry. You can say you're sorry and not mean it. How many of us have told our spouses, I'm sorry this past week, and we really didn't mean it. We just said it to get them off our back. We tell people at work, I'm sorry, because we kind of hurt their feelings, and we don't want them to think we're horrible, but we weren't really sorry. We meant what we said. We meant what we did. See, just saying you're sorry doesn't mean anything. It's what you do in response to that. Saying I'm sorry means I'm sorrowful, right? I got sorrow in my heart. I'm upset by what happened. I want to change this. And so David was broken because of when he realized what he had done. And he returned and he repented from that. And he pursued God even more. See, God don't want you to just keep putting up with that sin. He wants you to turn from it and walk away from it. That's what true repentance looks like. We come to church every week and we lay the same sin at the altar because we're just doctoring sin. We're not repenting. We're not walking away from it. We're just, we're just keeping it. We want it just far enough out that we don't look dirty but just close enough we can grab it and pull it back. It's a lot of our stuff, our sin is our comfort zone. It makes us feel appeasing. It makes us feel comfortable. It makes us feel a certain way. You need to replace that feeling with the only feeling that God can give you, and that's the acceptance and the hope in Jesus Christ. 
So what is your reaction to sin? As we close right now, what is your reaction to sin? Do you put up with it or are you fighting against it? What is your reaction to sin? When something happens, do you take those thoughts captive or do you dwell on those things? Do you replace those things with the truth of God's word and call it a lie and throw it away? Or do you dwell on those things? Do you allow sin to to replicate itself into more and more sin in your life? Are you sorry for your sin or are you truly repentant? See, what changed David, if David had never truly repented and really wholeheartedly was, was broken because of what had happened, then he would have never changed. God would have done something different. And he would have never been used and been known as a man who was seeking God's own heart. And for us to be men and women that are seeking God's own heart, we got to let us go and exalt him. And if we're not careful, our brokenness will be a vessel that Satan uses to separate us from God. And it's in your hands. The fight is in your mind, church. Satan wants to captivate your mind. He wants to to confuse you. He wants to get you to where you're thinking about everything else and not about him. And if he can get you thinking about you and your feelings, you won't think about Jesus one time. So if we want to be the people God's called us to be, if we want to be used by the God that created us to do the things he wants us to do, then we have to take every thought captive. And you won't do that if you don't love Jesus. You won't do that if you're not pursuing God. So if you will stand with me. As I close, these altars are open. If God's moving your heart to come and lay that pride aside and admit that some things are going on, if you want to just lay your burdens at the, at the feet of Jesus and leave them here and repent from them, let's do that today. If you realize that you don't truly know God, that you don't truly have a relationship with Jesus, then come. I'm going to be standing over here on the right-hand side of the stage, and I would love to pray with you and lead you and show you what your next step should be. But let's be real, amen? Let's be right with God, and let's deal with the stuff. See, right now, Satan's in some of y'all's heads are like, this wasn't about you, but really it was. You need to deal with it. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now boldly and unashamedly just appreciating and accepting your word, God. And Lord, I pray, God, that that you would renew our minds this morning. That God, that, Lord, that you would make us really examine our lives and say, has God given us a new heart? Has God given me a new heart? Do I have a heart for the things of God? Because if I don't have the heart for the things of God, then do I even know him? I pray, God, for the man and woman in this room that has that question in their heart. I pray, God, you give them the boldness to step out and come meet me. I pray, God, that for the man and woman that's been following you and, and Lord, they, they don't feel close to you, I pray, God, that you would bring sin to their minds. I pray, God, that you would show them the things that they should have held captive. God, I pray that you would just give us the boldness in this room right now to be real with you and allow you to touch the spot, the places in our hearts that aren't yielded to you, God. Lord, touch us today. Lead us to your cross, Lord, where your love poured out. Lord, lead us today. In Jesus' name.